Good morning. Glad to be here with you to bring you God's Word. We are starting a sermon series that lasts for three Sundays. Today's the first. And the, the theme, which I coined, and it's got a negative phrase in it, three things you cannot do with mammon. How many of you used the word mammon in the last week? How many of you used the word mammon in the last year? That's what I thought. Well, we had one, maybe two. Johnny did. <laughs> mammon, it comes from the old King James Bible. When Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, we, you, you can only serve one master. And, it, and he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is an old word that means all of your worldly money and possessions together. The, the earthly things that we have that we call our own. And he said, you cannot serve both. You have to serve one or the other. And so now, with that in mind, there are three things you cannot do with mammon. And the first one is, you cannot call it your own. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's a foundational principle of human enlightenment, a part of the Christian faith. You cannot call anything that you normally would think are your possessions, you cannot call them your own before God. I'm going to tell a story. There was a, a, a single dad. He had a 13-year-old son and two twin daughters. Uh, they're eight years old, and they're learning how to play the game of life with their brother. Mom has passed away, and he's working hard to raise them on his own, and they're playing on a Saturday afternoon, playing the game of life. Raise your hand if you know that game. I'm intended to bring it. I left it at home. Okay. You ever played it? So it's got a spinner in the middle. I know it's been updated, but we have the old version. Spinner in the middle. You start at one place. You get a little plastic car with these little easy-to-lose blue and pink characters, whether you're a guy or a girl. And then the first thing that happens as you spin is you can go one way or the other, and you go the non-college route or the college route. And the first thing you've got to land on, if you get all the way past without landing on, they just give you a token. You're going to get this much pay every time you cross payday, right? But if you land on doctor or lawyer, then you get paid more than your other players when they cross payday because they maybe got a lesser job. And it's supposed to sort of, it's really a game not to teach you, but to have fun. But there's some teaching going on. You, you're playing the game of life, right? But there's these places on the game of life, the old set, they were green, that say what? Revenge. And if you land on those, you could point to somebody in the game. The first revenge comes late enough that they've accumulated some money. And you can, they have to give you $100,000, you know that's great for family relationships. Not. Right? Brothers ganging up on him. So this boy and his sister, his two sisters are playing, right? And one of them accuses him of picking her too many times on revenge. And the other one, there's a share the wealth card. And you can do a pay space or, or buy or what? Collect space. So if one person lands on, well, you win $250,000 at the races, you can hand them that and they've got to give you half of it. And that's really great for family relationships. It's life, right? And so these two, three kids were arguing, and the father went by because they're arguing over who's dumping on whom in this game. And he says, look, if you're not going to play nice, I'm going to pick up the, ta- the, the game board and everything. We'll put it away. And he went away, and it was quiet for a while. And then you know what happened. Somebody landed on revenge, and somebody got mad. So he walked back in, and he just picked up the whole set, not violently, Closed it up, all the little cars and people fell ah, to the middle. 
He put it in the box, closed the box, and he said, I bought the game, I own the game, I own the house, you guys go play something else. And he put it in the closet. Now, where was all that anger and anxiety and frustration and competitiveness that was around the game that just got completely wiped out? It all went in the closet with it. Now, maybe it's a residual for a while, right? I think that's what the psalmist had in mind, what that father was doing for those kids when he wrote these two verses of this short Psalm 24 right next to the famous Psalm 23. And I want you to read it out loud with me. You cannot call mammon your own. It's page 7. Ready? See it there? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas. And he established it on the waters. Everything is God's. Every person is God's. Everything belongs to God. You cannot call mammon your own. Truth be told though, even among us who call ourselves believers in God, we practice atheism regarding our possessions. Because we tend to think it's our own. And that's why we get upset, that's why we get competitive, that's why we worry, and that's why we get even and all, everything in between. And let me just give you a quick litmus test, okay? Don't think too hard or you'll ruin the test. You ready? Let's just say, for real, I could give you a million dollars when you walk out of church today, how are you going to spend it? What's the first thing and the second thing you think of? You want to tell me? What'd you say? God? Tide. Oh, you're going to blow my whole example, right? When we think about getting a load of cash, we will often first think about, ooh, I can pay off this bill, I can buy this thing, I can finally do that thing, I can save now for my retirement like I couldn't be. Whatever it is, we don't first say, God, how would you like for me to spend this? We're atheists. It's like he's not even there. At first. And we're also that way when someone sues us at first. Or someone takes something that's ours. Or wrecks something that's ours. Or the economy goes. Or the gas prices go up. Or they go down, depending if you're in the oil business or not. We we think of us like atheists. Right? What was Jesus' answer when he said, don't worry about your finances. He said, your father knows what you need before you ask. He knows you need all these things, he said. Why would you worry? Right? So, when you think that God, think of this truth that God owns everything, you want to think in this way. How do you want me to use what you let me You share with me as a steward of your stuff. It's your stuff, God, right? So I want you to imagine a a mom and dad want to set up. They've got the means to do it, and they want to set it up so their child will do really, really well in college. So they go and buy a house near the college so they won't have to live in the dorm. They have a quiet place to study, right? They've got a place to come stay when they come to see them, but they've also got a place that they they can... be alone and away from everything else. And then that son that they put in that house 
He stays up all night, Friday and Saturday night, having big drinking parties, and the rest of the time he games with his friends till late at night in the house. What's going to happen? Well, mom and dad's going to come over and talk to him about the use of the house and the intended purpose that was good and to be a blessing, but he's making it a self-indulgence mess, right? And if he doesn't change, they might say, you know, the best place for you is the dorm, and I'm going to sell the house and let you live in the dorm. Well, that's to help you get a feeling for what it's like to live in God's world. We are not even renters because the money we would use to pay God the rent is the money he gave us. We are squatters. That's all we are. So he says, use it the way I want you to use it. And it's good, and it'll be fun and good for you to do that. And there's five ways, and they're very easy because they all have to do with the word provide. First of all, they're not going to be up on the screen, I apologize. Provide for yourself what you need to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually well. Okay? That includes many things. But I'll tell you what, there's not a person in this room as an American with all the public services we have and all of the economy that we have that doesn't have oodles more than they need just for themselves. We all have what we need for ourselves. And it's coming down the pipeline tomorrow if we think we don't. So we all have what we need for ourselves. And he gives it to you to provide for yourself because he loves you, right? The second is, though, to provide for your family. In fact, when Paul wrote Timothy, this is what he said. If there's someone who has an aunt or uncle who's, they didn't have a welfare system, who doesn't have a husband or a family to take care of them, and you are the family, and you don't take care of them, you're worse than an unbeliever to God. Because you say you believe, but you're an atheist in regard to taking care of your mama or your aunt or your grandma or your son or your daughter or your nephew or your niece. Worse than an unbeliever. So he gives you what he gives you to take care of your family. The third thing is to take care of, provide for society. Yeah. He blesses you so you will provide for society. Truth is, not many of us are very good at that, so he puts a government over you that makes sure you share it. You think that's new? You think that's Republican? You think that's Democrat? No, that's God. He says it in Romans 13. He said, no government is established except that which is established by God in order to bear the sword so you'll do the right thing, therefore pay what? Taxes to whom taxes are due. Taxes are not bad. I should run for office. No, I shouldn't. Um, Taxes are good in that they make people share with other people, no matter how you cut it. And I know you're trying to process that as an American that's part of the participatory government and you've been taught that in capitalism taxes have to be bad and the Tea Party was like the, 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 the gospel of America. I mean, I'm talking about the, um, tea, the Boston Tea deal. Okay, you're thinking that, maybe. It's, to so, it's so you'll share so we have libraries and fire departments, and roads, and police, and a good education system. Give everybody an opportunity. Uh, All the other issues around taxes notwithstanding, God provides for society. And the reason I tell you that is this. You're going to have taxes no matter what, dear Christian, but when God owns it all, and he puts you under a government that says it's going to be this percentage, and after you've done everything the government allows to try to reduce it, which is just fine, He wants you 
to be joyful in the sharing. It should be a spiritual thing for us to share with the rest. The fourth one is to provide for those less fortunate. And what I'm talking about is when you get to, not because you're commanded by your government, but you get to pick those people that you know in your life that are around you. Or maybe you just heard about who have a need and you get to meet it and fill it. Maybe it's to pull somebody into your family and keep them in your home. Maybe it's just to give them a blessing of of something they really need, like means of transportation. Or maybe it's help paying their bill at at the store. I don't know. It's the less fortunate than you at that moment. And that's why he gives you what he gives you. He wants you to share. He wants you to share the wealth, but not have a card that somebody has to give you to make you do it. Because you do it, he gave it to you so you'd have the, the ability to do that. So provide for me, provide for my family, provide for society, provide for those less fortunate. And finally, he gives it to you to provide for the spread of his gospel that saves people forever. He wants you to support the gospel so that you help save the planet forever if it's going to the good cause of getting the message published and out there. That's why he gave your money. That's why he gave your possessions. That's the game called life with God. And guess what? He is going to fold up the table, the, 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 the whole uh, game board, and you're going to give an account for what you did with his stuff. So if you've been an atheist, consider yourself having visited the spiritual chiropractor this morning. God has walked and he's adjusted you. He's walked by your game. He's seen what you're doing. He sees everything. And he says, I want you to, to, to joyfully use your, your mammon for these five things because you know what he says? It belongs to God, not to you. And you're going to have to give an account. I want you to serve humanity. That's the second point. I want you to serve humanity. That's what God did when God came. As His Son. Jesus Christ. He came to serve humanity. And He showed it in all the ways I mentioned. He didn't buy a car for anybody. He might have bought a donkey. It just didn't make it into the Bible. Right? But He sure did feed a lot of people, didn't He? And He sure did... Raise the dead and heal the sick. And when Peter was all nervous about paying taxes, he said, Peter, go down and fish. And he caught a fish and he goes, look in its mouth. And there's a big silver coin of fish and grab like a lure. And he said, go pay the tax. Jesus took care of everybody else because Jesus was the great sacrificer, the great giver, not the taker. And all that stuff I mentioned only served a temporary world that's passing away and temporary people. If he had not served the gospel, that fifth thing, by being the Savior, well, then it would all be kind of a waste, wouldn't it? But he didn't. He saved us. When you hear this, it will... If you've got a beating heart, you have not been living perfectly in regard to this, neither have I. It will bring you to repentance. It will make you think about how you use your mammon, the mammon God lends to you. And that's good. That's not bad. And you've come to the right place to dump all the guilt. You bring it here, 
And he says, I was perfect when I was there, and I'm still the Savior who died for you, and you're forgiven. And I gave it all for you, and it's completely, your guilt is gone, your sins are gone. But you still got that mammon out there I let you use. Think about why and what you're going to do with it. One of the things that challenges us, though, as people who believe there is a God but struggle with atheism about mammon, is that we see how God distributes the mammon, and we don't really think it's all that fair and just, right? Because everybody knows someone whom you'd consider a bad person, an unbeliever, an atheist in their spirit, whatever, just someone who's wicked, and you see that they're living in luxury. And you go, God, do I need to be your eyes? Is something not fair? I tend to be struggling, or others struggle that I know, and, and they're not. If you want to go to the Bible and find someone who's a kindred spirit who'll walk you through that whole thing, go to Psalm 73. Read it carefully. Find a little commentary on it too, but read it carefully. Asaph was a godly man. He was a priest, singer type, and he was struggling that the wicked God was letting prosper, and he found the solution in God owns it all, and God will at the end make everything right for everybody, and that God was his Savior. So beautiful, though, he, his song about how he got through all that, and he, he understands your pain. Another way that we critique God, it's not about good and bad people, though. It's just about the distribution. For instance, I looked it up so I'd have good sermon material. The average NFL football player makes $1.9 million a year, and that's the lowest of the professional sports. The average basketball player is $5.something million a year. Average! Huh? The average social worker, school teacher, busting their tails, touching many, many lives in Austin, Texas, median pay, $56,000 a year. $1.9 for bouncing, kicking a ball around, $56,000 for working endless hours and for the help of families and others and to give them an opportunity. Right? God, what's up with that? You're, are you there? Now, if you're not going to distribute it better, I guess I've got to better fight and scratch and do whatever to get mine and hold on to it because I'm not sure you're going to bless me if you, that's the way you do it. Whoa. Hold on there, sinner. God has always said, I own it all and I distribute it how I wish. And there's certain questions you're not allowed to ask. You can ask them, but I'm not going to give an answer. You're allowed to ask it. You know why? Because I have plans, he says. Some of you know Isaiah 55, that are not your plans. I've got ways that are not your ways. And I'm going to find a way to use that and distribute it, even though you can't see it, to bless the way I want to bless. And then there's these little hints, but they're, they're truisms in the Proverbs, like this. Sinners store up wealth for the righteous. Sooner or later, in their lifetime or at the end, God redistributes the wealth of every person. They have a will and testament in some societies like ours, but even then, they can't control it very far. It's just to that moment of death, and then God decides to redistribute. Also, 
in, a, in, a, in somebody kicking a ball around for 1.9 million, there's probably a thousand people who get to work to make a living because of that entertainment industry. He's got ways, though, that are beyond I can explain. He's doing his magic the way he wants to. Even when it's not giving you what you think you deserve because it's all about his grace and sovereignty. And now I want you to think about this. God, I'm not sure I can trust you, so I better take care of my own finances instead of acting like it belongs to you because you distribute it so weirdly. And God says to you, when I came to earth, what was the economic status of my son? Well, God, he was a pauper. Yeah, so what hospital did he get born in? Well, he got born in a barn, in a little manger. Oh, yeah, so... What welfare system supported him and his family? None. They kind of had to scratch out a living and his dad died early. Yeah, so when he was going around as a preacher, um, what was the parsonage allowance that he got and the, and the mileage allowance that he got? Well, none. One guy said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Foxes have holes they live in. They dig out a hole. Birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Right? What was the, the, what was the church like? How many members were at his church? And how did they praise him, support him, and encourage him, and give him Christmas presents? They didn't. He had an antagonistic crowd mixed in and shouting out things in the middle of his sermons to challenge him. And when he died, what clothes did they bury him in? Well, they took his clothes, remember? And they... They, they gambled for them, so they just wrapped them in a, in a sheet. And, and where's the monument where he was buried? Well, it was somebody else's grave that they put him in. And God says, so my only begotten son only got 33 years. If you're older than 33 years, raise your hand. You got more time on earth than he is the only begotten son of God. And then all 33 years were all living a pauper's life. And who could not argue that he was worth the greatest salary with the greatest gift? And you're going to criticize me for how I distribute everything in my wisdom that you cannot fathom? Do I not sound like God when he was talking to Job? You know, Job said everything's not fair. And God said, where were you when I did this and this? He never really told him about why it was fair. God, this is the last point of those three in your bulletin. God will always accomplish his purposes and his purpose, his biggest purpose is always to save humanity. So you can know if I cannot and no one can give you a logical explanation for how he lets his mammon fall on the earth in different levels in different people's lives, you can know this. If you can't know why, you can know this. It's all ultimately serving the salvation of the planet somehow. I could give you one quick example and then get out of it. If you take a guy like Jobs, is it Steve Jobs that passed away, his big guy in, uh, in uh, Apple? He died confessing no faith in God. And you think, why did you do that? Well, think of the sermons and the prayers and the words of encouragement put out on Apple products through smartphones, computers, and everything else that serve salvation because the brains of people like that. Huh? That's fantastic, isn't it? 
God is always saving people. And he will not be criticized by anyone. But he also will not let you decide how you're going to use the mammon he lends to you based on your criticisms of how you think he uses it. Because you're just a squatter. <laughs> and he loves you. So let's go back to the dad and the two kids, three kids, right? Five years have passed. Now son who was about 13 is 18. And, and uh, he's asked a lot of questions from 13 to 18 as his brain's gotten bigger and the world and its impact. And he asked a lot more about his mom and how his dad's making ends meet because he's got this, this uh, 18-year-old's got his first and second and third job. And he's finding out just how much his dad does and how many promotions he passed up so that he could be with the kids because they didn't have mom around. And he has a whole new appreciation for this man who picked up that board when they were acting selfishly and put it away. And the girls now are 13, and they want to play the game of life with their brother. And so dad pulls the son aside, and he goes, hey, let's do this. You use the game of life to teach them a really neat lesson, okay? So when, when, that, when one of them lands on revenge, you say, pick me, pick me, and you hand them a $100,000 bill out of the game. And when they, do sh- when they land on something like they got to pay $150,000, you take a share of the wealth card and hand it to them and say, I'm going to pay half of that. And he goes, let's teach them how much fun it is to give and provide. And they set it up where he had cards already, and the brother played the game, and the girls were amazed. It's like their whole countenance changed because now their brother's helping them throughout the game, and they're they're feeling closer and in love as humanity in a family because of a silly game. No, because of the son who got it. And you know where I'm going with this. I got to see an updated game of life and the rules really hadn't changed much. Just some of the dollar figures it seemed. And I haven't changed your game of life a bit in these few minutes we've been talking. You've been listening. You're, you still got the same game. You got the same mammon. You got the same deal out there. And you're going to have the same people suing you, trying to steal from you, and try to make you share the wealth. Blah, 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 blah. I haven't changed a bit. But one thing God hoped to do by walking by the table where you're playing today in your church is He hoped to change you, brother, and to make you a person who gets it, that what Jesus said is really true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that, and the word blessed doesn't mean better. It means happier, more fulfilling. It's it's a blessed life. Isn't that what we all long for in this fallen world? Is that sense of we're living in the blessing of God? It's when we're a giver and not a taker. And the only way to handle mammon is to look at it as that opportunity you have to give for your needs, your family, society less fortunate, and the gospel. And that's the unifying concept called ownership when the psalmist made a song for the ancient church to sing when they came to church. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. God owns it all. God bless you, dear squatters, as you learn to give away and become like God. Amen.